as a human being, what do I connect with? And it's not a very far conclusion to reach the sights and sounds and potentially even you know smells and, and texture are a very important way to connect. So to me, don't look ahead. In fact, look behind and also, but more importantly, look inside. I'm Eric Fulweiler, and this is Scratch, bringing you marketing lessons from the leading brands and brains, rewriting the rulebook from scratch for the world of today. In today's episode, I talked to Dean Aragon, CEO and Vice Chairman of Shell Brand, and Jane Keat, Global Brand Standards and Assurance Manager at Shell, about how they developed the sound of Shell. And the thing I find really fascinating about this episode is not just how much work went into developing it, but also how it was just as important, especially for Jane in her role, to actually get people bought in and on board with using the Sonic brand. And so that's a fascinating part of the conversation. The other part that I really love is we really talk about how any brand and any business can and should just get started looking into what a Sonic brand, a Sonic version of their brand should be. And it actually really helped me because I always thought this was the realm of very big companies with very big budgets, but you'll hear from both Jane and Dean that there are opportunities to just kind of get started getting started, really, no matter what your budget is or how big your team is. So hope you enjoyed today's episode. We'd love to hear what you thought. Let's give it a listen. Hello, Dean. Hello, Jane. How are you doing today? Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having Jane and I here. Hi there. Good to be here. So let's start with a little bit about you, just to set the scene, give our audience a little bit of context on who you are. Jane, do you want to go first? Maybe tell people a little bit about your background, a little bit about your role overall at Shell? Sure. So I, I sit in Dean's brand team, and I my role is basically about delivering brand standards which guide how the Shell brand is physically experienced around the world through the senses. So visually, of course, the traditional logos, colors, fonts, imagery, movement, but increasingly, as we'll be talking about, much more sophisticated areas like sound, olfactory, tactile, you know, what material, shapes, movements defines our Shell brand. And then those brands are deployed across the, the vast scope and scale of the Shell brand, anything from packaging to digital, from communications to EV charges. So it's a, a, a huge beast to manage and keeps me and my team super busy. I can't imagine. How, how much of your role, I'm curious, how much of your role is setting the standard or creating the audio logo like we're going to talk about today versus the assurance or I'd imagine there's a quality control portion of it as well? So I'd say the huge bulk of my role is the implementation of it, working with the businesses to understand the standards, intrinsically buy into the standards. You know, we don't want to do it by a rule book um, and then helping them apply it sort of creatively and with lots of flex, but delivering a sort of coherent brand experience across everything that we do. And the assurance side is not so sexy. It's the sort of checks and balances that a brand and a company like Shell has to have in place to check how our brand and trademarks, you know, there's a trademark aspect to this, are actually being used. And, you know, I logo is a trademark but our, our sound brand is also trademarked um so yeah that's less less sexy but also a very important part of the job and then our, our standards kind of evolve at different paces so you know our vehicles may be around for you know a couple of decades but our communications and our digital you know the standards for that need to to evolve pretty regularly to stay you know ahead of ahead of trends and anticipate what's happening with channels and digital and media yeah. And, and you know, what's interesting is obviously, you know, a brand like Shell, a business at the scale that Shell is, has someone like you in what is a very important role. 
but every business, because we have people listening from all sizes of organizations and marketing roles, every business has someone who has to play, if they're doing it right, has to play the function and and have the role that you have. They just might not be full-time doing that. Somebody has to be responsible for setting these standards and overseeing the implementation of how the brand comes to life. Um, great. So sure. Dean, tell us a little bit about you and your role at Shell. I'm essentially the brand guy of Shell. So I look after everything that pertains to the Shell brand overall across the business, across all of the countries uh, in, in our ecosystem. Uh, that means principally looking after brand strategy, uh, brand communications and engagement, but also some enabling centers of excellence, such as digital and social media, looking after our own channels, uh, channel strategy, content effectiveness, but also uh, one of the world's best uh, creative agencies, except that it only ser services one client. Uh, it's our internal creative solutions unit. And making sure that we understand the real insights at the heart of, uh, of, uh, of our customers and stakeholders, I also look after insights and analytics. So let's dive into it. The question I always like to ask first, before we get into the nitty gritty of you know, what this initiative was all about and the results that it drove, what was the problem that you were trying to solve when you kicked this off? Jane, maybe we'll go to you because I, I think this actually started before Dean's time there. So uh, Jane, what, what was the actual marketing or business challenge that you were looking to solve with this? So uh, yeah, I think there's multiple strands to that. So I don't know that there was a, a burning platform that problem that we needed to solve but it, I think there would have been had we not been addressing sonic strategy by by 2021 um, but back in 2013 when we started thinking about it it was very much about the opportunity area so we had this incredibly strong powerful but pretty visual centric brand and there was an opportunity we knew to extend that into sound it was fairly nascent at that time I guess um, and, but we could see the way the world was moving um, to develop a much more sensorial. We know that music is very closely associated with emotions, and we knew that was part of our strategy to build much more human connections and a, and a humanized um, approach to the Shell brand. But also, I guess, if problem solving, I think the, the money that was being spent on um, music rights, on, on sound libraries, was was a definite, you know, that's an ongoing imperative for any business to to look at opportunities to 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 save cost. But that wasn't the driver. The driver was absolutely brand building, the opportunity area, humanizing the brand. No, by the time I came in, uh, it, it was definitely uh, something that I was very fortunate to be inheriting as a project because I clearly had an agenda from the get go about humanizing the shell brand. And humanizing the shell brand means having a very clear sensorial strategy that extends beyond uh, visual identity. So as human beings, you know, we are drawn not only to sights, but also to sounds. And, and, and if you want to extend even beyond that, you know, things that we smell and things that we touch. So the combination of sight and sound uh, was going to be quite a powerful, indelible aspect or manifestation of our brand, of our brand identity, of our brand uh, personality uh, and and if you like the personification of the shell brand yeah and i do going back to what jane was talking about in terms of the money saved on licensing that was something to be honest i didn't even consider and i have a quote here from a forbes article that covered the sonic branding work that you've done that said that to date it has saved the company tens of millions of dollars 
and licensing fees, which I think is really fascinating because for me, having been around Sonic branding for a while, at least the last five years, I feel like it's become a little bit more mainstream. Obviously, it's been around for a while. Jingles are not the same as Sonic branding, but that idea of connecting with the consumer and representing the brand through sound is nothing new. But the question that always comes up in my mind and that you know I'd love to dig into a little bit further is really about that ROI and um, Sonic branding as something that I'd love to understand a little bit more of how it actually drives the marketing objectives and business results of the Shell brand. So maybe taking it down a level to how is this actually used, besides saving the company money on licensing fees, how is this actually used in a way that helps to drive the growth of the business? I mean, I think for me, the um, before we even get to the commercial return on investment, I think by employing a very consistent soundscape, which is beyond just your mnemonic signature uh, at the end, you're really building um, and compounding the, the accumulation of you know, identity aspects that just enrich and deepen the brand. Yeah? And so if you allow the flexibility as well for different uh, topics, tones, cultural nuances, uh, ethnic nuances, then you can really flex it rather than become a very, very narrow template while still adding, you know, it's, it's a game of addition as opposed to what? Well, if you just keep on employing whatever is the popular sound of the day or random set of sounds that may be relevant to the particular creative execution, but doesn't really add to the brand equity, then that's a very clear miss. So I consider that the, the biggest return on investment, the strategic return on investment. And of course, commercially, there's also real return on investment, uh, as what Jane was saying, through, through cost avoidance. But not just in, in, in usage yeah. rights, but also in having to commission original soundtracks that, again, may not even be additive to the brand equity. That the sound very rarely appears on its own, so it's quite difficult to isolate the impact of sound because it's always there at an event or over a TVC with other content and visuals going on. But we have, as you'd expect, done some research. I think we did it in um, China, South Africa, USA, UK to look to to make sure our mnemonic and our, our music is memorable, that it's likable, that when people hear it, they fit it to our defined brand personality. Um, so we, we do do check-ins like that to ensure that it's taking our brand in the right direction that we want to go with holistically with, with our brand identity and that it's, as Dean said, humanizing and, and driving us forward. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great because I think, um, you know, sometimes, especially for you two sitting in a very big marketing team of a very big brand, there's these things that we see from the perspective of marketers. And I think it's always important to connect it to actually the perspective and experience of the customer as well. So seeing how that actually translates into the experience that people are having with the brand and what that means for their perception or behavior around it, I think is always key with something like this that is maybe not kind of like the bread and butter of what most people would consider marketing. But I think increasingly, like we're going to talk about with the way the world is going, 
it will be. Um, so let's, um, I guess that was a pretty big preamble, but let's get the broad strokes of actually this initiative. So it kicked off a while ago. Uh, there's a video that we'll share in the show notes that I think does a great job of kind of telling the case study and all the different components of it. But Jane, do you want to give us maybe a, you know, a minute or two overview of actually how you kick this off, who was involved and how you actually develop the sound of shell? Sure. So yeah, the journey, journey started, Shell a while now, started back in 2013 um, when we first um, conceptualized this and we spent over a year doing a very deep audit into our musical DNA, our past. We've got a very rich heritage with music. Um, then forming that into a brief for composers. We went very far and wide with composers. I think we started with around 40 from all around the world, narrowed down to four, um, which we then briefed to do compositions, which we then tested around the world, uh, as well as internally to make sure that it, it fitted with our brand strategy. And we landed on Tom Howe, who you'll see in the video. He's a, a the type, he was a young up and coming LA based composer. I think he did British Bake Off and he's, he's, he's doing mu- um, film scores and um, TV scores in, in the US. Um, and he was the, the, the judge with the right music that, that really embodied our, our brand in the, the realm of sound, which led in 2015 to the epic day that Dean and I were both lucky enough to be at, where we recorded The Sound of Shell in Studio One of Abbey Road, which is the same studio that Star Wars and the big orchestral works are recorded. And that was the starting point. So if you imagine that's the trademark, the original piece of music but of course we were never going to go and take that and slap that across all the the brand and musical experiences that that represent the shell brand so that's really when the implementation journey started but broad brush strokes that's the journey to to launch shall i carry on to implementation yeah please sure so yeah that's where the implementation journey really began because then Dean was on board for for that point and we were in a a room together selecting the mnemonic because the the long form piece had various phrases that we could have chosen as the mnemonic device and Dean and I remember that day where we sat and listened to them all and and selected the mnemonic device which is the almost like the pectin in sound the logo in sound um and then, yeah, we t- one of the big challenges was getting to a critical mass quite quickly of enough different variants of the long-form music that we could apply it to the vast scale, scale and scope. So the music at Shell has got to go from V-power, you know, powerful um, testosterone-type communications right to sensitive communications, to co- selling coffee, to experiences and events and our CEO. So we had to get quite quickly to enough variants that all of our brand users around the world would buy into this. You can imagine the thousands of brand users we have in Shell. We have our colleagues, we have hundreds of agencies, we have you know hundreds of third-party companies, distributors, licensees who all produce branded experiences on behalf of Shell. So awareness, buy-in, helping them implement it effectively um, with the right tonality. That's a, and that's not a one-off task. That is because with churning agencies, with shell people moving to new roles, that's a, an ongoing challenge to make them aware, like all the other areas of brand identity aware, buy into it, intrinsically understand how to use it effectively to build the brand experience rather than just slapping the music on. So 
we now have a massive sound library with 600 variants of the long-form music from sensitive violins to epic rock to brass bands um, and lots of variants they're called stems in, in music but sort of layers of music so if you like that track but you don't like the claps or the drums or whatever then you can you can take those off and you can browse that like a like a good music library you can browse it by genre or mood or tone or beats per minute all sorts of technical things as well um, but the mnemonic device which I'm sure Dean will talk about as well is the one where we're much more singular in approach so we wanted a, a wide lot of flex because we need it at shell for the the long form music but the mnemonic device the do 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 that you will typically hear accompany the pectin at the end of of films and social content we were much more single-minded in that we started with three we're currently at nine because we've it's very singular in its approach, but it's just different instrumentations, a lot of natural sounding instruments, guitar and piano and cello, um, and then some more powerful ones for the the, the brands and product areas that, that need that. I'll take a pause for breath. It's a fascinating. I can't even wrap my head around how many different just layers and components there are to what you were talking about. I, I want to go off script for a second, actually, and ask a non-sound a shell related question, just because hearing you talk... One of the questions I get a lot, and one of the things that I sometimes will help other marketers with, is how do you get buy-in for the things that you want to do? And just hearing you talk, like you talked about how many thousands of people there are that you need to get on board with something like this. I'm just curious whether it's specific to the Sound of Shell or just in your experience, you know, spending more than a decade having to do this. How do you go about getting buy-in from people that you know you might not know or might not work with that closely? Yeah, I think it's identifying the shared agenda. So people are in roles, they've got a job to deliver, they want to sell more product, they want to get eyeballs, they want to do whatever they need to do in their job. And it's a sales role from my team's perspective in helping them understand how a cohesive, well-delivered um, shell brand can help them do that. So um, it's, you know, try to, it has to also always be a little bit of policing and because you work for Shell and because that is our policies, you know, there, there's a little bit of that, but the more you can get hearts and minds buy-in by helping them see the bigger picture, because often they're in their pockets of the world or their pockets of, of Shell. But if they can buy into what we're trying to achieve as, as, as a brand and what their role is in helping us deliver that, um, then you, it's usually fairly straightforward to find a shared agenda there. I think the challenge in Shell is just the scale of it. So as you said, we are a large-ish team, but you know, for the thousands of users around the world, it's, it's, you know, I'd love to be able to have face-to-face conversations with all of them every week and that's not possible. So we have to do have to rely on channels and websites and policies and documents and checking processes, but um, yeah, hearts and minds buy in as much as we can and helping them see how the shell, a strong shell brand helps them succeed. And it's a, a symbiotic relationship. They're drawing from the bank of the shell brand every day with what they do and helping them understand how they need to mm. pay back to the shell brand. So I think that's a well-established principle in shell as well. Yeah, that's interesting. It's really interesting. Thanks for that. So should we listen to a little bit of it? What what should we listen to first? I know there was a couple things we were going to play, should right? We start with the, the main orchestral work, the original Abbey Road work. Let's hear it.
Great. So let's listen to a couple of variations. You have a couple of variations that you're going to play as well, Jane? Sure. So we're going to hear two extremes. We'll hear uh, an epic rock track that we would typically use for, say, motorsports, and then a more sensitive violins that we might use for make the future or corporate communications or a human story. So have a listen. for that. So Dean, I'd love to pick up with you. You are the Shell brand guy. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit from your perspective on the future implications, not just for Shell, but also for all brands, given the rise of voice and sound, you know, in-car technology, home devices, IoT, everything that is coming. And I always think of that quote, the future is already here. It's not evenly distributed yet. Like this stuff is here in terms of people experiencing brands through sound. It's just a question of whether brands have the resource and you know progressiveness to take advantage of it. So from your perspective, what is the future implication for any marketer or any brand when it comes to sonic branding and audio? The future is not in front of us. The future is inside of us. This whole area of sonic branding isn't really new. The power of sound isn't really new. <laughs> you know, music sound has always been with us since the since the dawn of civilization. And that's how we communicate. That's how we evoke feelings. That's how we emote with each other. That's how we connect and engage powerfully, profoundly at the very human level. And brands, frankly, um, modern brands at least, are, are just discovering its power. But many of the brands, like we have been around for over a hundred years, but we've, we have a rich history of, of music. You know, we had Bing Crosby, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., and 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 many other uh, you know uh, shall we say you know artists that we would have been associated with uh, just three years ago we had you know Jennifer Hudson uh, Pixie Lott um, DJ Oki and some regional stars in Brazil uh, and in Africa and so it's just a matter of really saying well how if I were to humanize the brand and why is it important to humanize a brand because you want to connect with humans whatever your business whether it's uh, big to C or B2B, they're all business to humans or brands for humans, then you have to really look inside as to, well, I as a human being, what do I connect with? And it's not a very far conclusion to reach the sights and sounds um, and potentially even you know smells and, and, and texture are a very important way to connect. So to me, don't look ahead. In fact, look behind and also, but more importantly, look inside. And so are there other other things you have planned on this sonic roadmap? Are there other, not just implementations, but anything else you can speak of that you're planning to do in the future in this area? We just want to keep on driving it, right? Because um, I think 
although Jane and the team have been uh, masterful at you know really you know soliciting and you know, securing buy-in uh, across the company, not in a not in a not in an aggressive way, but in a way that really allows them to realize why this is a strategic uh, must-win. We do want to really drive it consistently, and that's why there is this breadth of possibilities because that lowers the hurdle for adoption. But at the same time, we want to we want each of them to understand that it's there. There really are no exceptions. We all need to be in it, you know, uh, to drive it successfully. And sometimes it requires lots of conversations uh, with uh, creative agencies, because <laughs> creative partners, uh, and we all understand this, want to be doing something special and something that's really uh, flexing their creative muscles to show how great they are. But we say, yeah, that's all great, but you don't have to invent something in this area because this is our identity and you don't get to play uh, beyond what our identity is about. We cannot be someone we're not. And therefore there's a bit of herding and a bit of uh, education. Jane, would you agree? We, we still, we still today have to educate our creative partners that this is not stifling creativity. If anything, this allows them to focus on creativity of, of the main body of work, but allow this to, you know, to indelibly identify as a shell and what makes shell, shell. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's human nature and probably particularly amongst creatives in agencies to want novelty, to have ultimate creative freedom. And, you know, if they work with shell for a while, I think it's, it's they get, just like the color palettes, you know, they're using oh, is it shell yellow again, the shell music again, but our audiences don't, our audiences don't see shell yellow and, and our, hear our music every day. So we have to have some elements that have longevity and consistency. Um, and a key part of that is, is leadership. So I'll just give Dean a shout out here that I think you need, I think one of the keys to success of the sound of shell is that you've got to have strong leadership that will back you when needed, when you're having those tough conversations with, you know, internally and, and with the, the big agency partners as well but just to add to, to Dean's point about implementation I think we've done some awesome stuff with implementation and we've obviously gone for the for the big comms the experiential the digital and social and that's kind of the low-hanging fruit in a sense as well but there's so much more opportunity even just for the music um, you know what sounds might there be across a forecourt or the mnemonic when you open a, the, the forecourt door in our real estate spaces in our offices how is the opportunity to build brand in an appropriate way in, in different areas in our offices in telephony you know we still have massive call centers at Shell and music playing in all sorts of different places that you know the resource of, at first has been focused on that that big comms and big brand expressions but there's all sorts of things that we could be doing and as different channels emerge um that's huge. And music is only one aspect of sound branding. So our focus at the moment is, is rounding that into a more fully developed soundscape, which includes the voice of Shell. So what is the human voice that represents the Shell brand? And it won't just be one voice, but mm. what is the, the the territory for the right Shell human voices, when, which as, as 
for the implications for a shell like, brand like Shell, which is so visual, when in the future, brands will increasingly be experienced either with sound as part of the experience or sound is the only part of the experience. And how do we make sure that we are um, in the right territory and have attributable aspects to voice and then sound effects? So those are the functional sound effects when you're on a loyalty app to um, ambient background to what is the sound of EV charging, you know, EV, our growth of our EV business. We're getting into, um, well, we've already been in coffee a long time, but the launch of Shell Cafe is a much, uh, you know, barista premium experience. What are the sounds associated with that? So I think music, we've we've gone a long way, but voice and, and soundscape, um, we'll, we'll be adding to that to create a really rounded um, sound of Shell. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's one of those things, I mean, even as a marketer, you know, you just saying the word soundscape and explaining, you know, laying out some of those examples, you just kind of realize how massive that is. And how fun um, it is. It's a fascinating space. And um, maybe we can also play later on um, an example. You know, we, we keep on innovating, right? Because it's, it's, it's rich in potential. And maybe we can also play um, the sound of Shell as, uh, as, as deployed in, for instance, the, the latest campaign we did for the brand in India where uh, the, the Indian artists actually sung the, the, the notes, the, the five notes uh, in, 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 in the names of the notes in Hindi. And that was, the, that was a first for us as well. And it gave it a little, not only a, a rich sound, but a real local routing. Because remember one thing, one of the reasons we were doing this with such flexibilities, all of our customers, all of our stakeholders are very local. You know, we don't believe that we have global or international customers. And so the trick is we're also wide to allow that local nuancing, that local routing. But again, they all connect to a singular sense of identity. Yeah. And, and I will say we're going to try to include as many examples as possible in the show notes if people want to go check out um, other iterations and manifestations of the Sound of Shell. So I know that we're coming up on time. I want to try to um, point this now a little bit more towards our audience and some things that they can really take away and try to apply to their own business. So, um, Dean, maybe let's start with you. But I'm curious. So, Shell, you know, one of the biggest brands in the world. You know, marketing budgets that can allow for an initiative like this over the amount of time and space that it took. At what stage should a business be thinking about sound? Is it every business now and they just do it to a smaller degree because they're not able to do it the way that you were? Or is there a certain stage at which this should factor in? How, how, where should sound fit in a modern marketer set of priorities? Yeah, to be honest, I should have intervened when uh, we were characterizing this as something that a big brand and a big company like Shell was doing because I think that could be a head fake in that some may conclude that, well, if, I, if my business isn't as big and isn't as as you know, as as vast as shells, then maybe this is not for me. If if you go back to the bare essentials of a brand, a brand needs to connect with its human uh, stakeholders, its human customers, consumers, and users. You need to pull every lever possible to be able to do that, and that's why for me, sight, sound, and whatever other sensorial aspects may be pertinent to your to your marketing mix, to your offer, to your products, your solutions. It's really crucial. And so it doesn't really matter what size of the business is or whether your brand is emerging or popular. I would even say start it, start it right from the very beginning. 
you know, bring all the fundamentals into place from the very beginning. Of course, it's understandable that there are certain limits to what you can afford, but make your sense of identity, your brand identity, a very rounded one that isn't relying on only one lever. Enrich it, deepen it, uh, because that layering will make it a far more interesting brand to connect with from the perspective of your customers and stakeholders. And are there any, um, you know, in doing this work or being in this space, any resources or tactics, suggestions that you'd have for marketers that maybe aren't going to have a big budget to go hire an agency or compose their own score? Like, is there any way to kind of get started getting started with something like this if they do believe in the theory of what you said, but need a little bit more help on the tactics of how to do it? It's a very tough question to answer, which I'm going to rely on Jane. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd start with, I mean, brands will use sound whatever size, whether whether they're managing it in a coherent way or not. So I'd start with an audit of how you use sound and and apply an 80-20 rule. You know, what is the biggest applications of sound that you have where there's an opportunity area to build attribution alongside your other brand assets? I mean, if you've got a visual identity and you've managed to pay for that, I don't see why you wouldn't have sound components to that. Um, And it's a bit like designing a logo. You can do that for $10 with a student or $10 with the top agency and similar similar with sound i think the you know composing a, a sound track that fits your brand you can you know that can be done with a freelancer right up into to your top agencies depending on what you need but it's not just music it's it's soundscape it's you know if you're big in digital what are the sounds that go with gestures and haptics and that could be ownable in your space but i, I would say audit where you use sound or could use sound um, and apply an 80-20 rule into, into what, what the opportunity areas are and start, start crafting, start working with that. I think there's some things that you can be playful and change quickly. I think other things, if you want to build a long-term thing like a logo or a sonic sonic identity, you need to, to invest a bit in and, and make sure that it's got some longevity. You don't want to be changing it every few months. Um, yeah. Say, I yeah. think Jane makes a really great point. And uh, it just brings to mind... If I were a small brand, uh, let's say I'm a, a startup, and I want to talk about my origin story or my provenance, it may be a good idea to start with who are the musicians, emerging musicians, or even just student musicians from your place of origin, you know, from the from the town where you founded it, and and have that as a defining, a defining sort of uh, manifestation of your of your story of your narrative. So we just chose to work with, of course, <laughs> a top Hollywood uh, sort of a musical scorer and recorded in Abbey Road, but you don't have to. The cost yeah. of that weren't as much as you might think. I mean, it wasn't in the in in the millions for, for that at all. Um, and for Shell Scale, the payback was pretty quick. I understand for smaller companies, it, it, it wouldn't necessarily be, but I think it's, yeah, balancing that, what you're going to invest with, what it will deliver and what stage of your business you're at. Yeah. Yeah. And what I loved about what you said, Jane, and actually really helped me because as you can tell with the way I've kind of been framing this up, I guess I even thought, okay, sound, uh, sound, sonic branding, that's more the realm of big company. I've done it with kind of, you know, smaller size companies as well, but I really liked what you said, Jane, about like, Hey, you could just go, you know, it could be anywhere from 10 to 10 million. You could go find somebody. My mind actually went to Fiverr. Could you find a composer on Fiverr or something like that? But I think the you know, the first principle for me is if you believe 
that sound is a relevant and important dimension of your brand, which hopefully this conversation today has helped convince people if they weren't already there, you know, what gets prioritized gets done. So if you think it's important enough, you'll find a way to get it done with the budget and the time that you have. So that was really helpful. Uh, before we wrap, Jane, any other lessons learned or anything else that you want to share um, from from this kind of case study before we wrap up? So yeah, we've covered the sort of human and creative, you know, getting over that hurdle and having enough flex for people to do what they need to with the sound brand um, and keep it human as well. I think one of my proudest moments with the Sound of Shell wasn't the big TVCs and the global reach stuff. It's we we launched the Sound of Shell ringtones for Christmas and in, for internally for our colleagues and hearing Shell phones ring around the office, not just from brand colleagues, but others too with you know people wanting to use the sound of shell for their ringtones was was you know a hugely powerful moment so i think get your colleagues on board have the conversations help people understand what this can do for a brand alongside the other elements of the brand identity mix um, and go have fun with it great dean anything else to add from you i think just make it a very human experience for the for your brand and sound will enrich that sensorial experience of the sh- of, of of your brand um and and i think that will uh, as i keep on saying perhaps too repetitively uh it can only pay dividends because as humans we are hardwired to connect with things that are human-like and therefore um if we humans relate to humans because they we can see them we can hear them we can feel them brands are no different and therefore and i would really invest in defining the, the the character of your brand the personality traits of your brand and use these sensorial levers to manifest uh, this this character and this personality great all right well thank you so much for joining me uh, this was a really interesting conversation. Where can people find out more about the Sound of Shell if they want to explore it? We'll drop this in the show notes, but what's the best place to go check all this out? So yeah, check out our, our YouTube channel, see the link, and you'll be able to see the breadth and the diversity and different ways that we've used the Sound of Shell. Right. So today I am talking to Paul Skinner, founder of Marketing Kind, which is an organization that uh, I've been you know, somewhat a part of. I'd love to have more time to be more involved, but I really love what you guys are about and, and what you're up to. So, Paul, first, uh, tell us in the audience, what is Marketing Kind? So Marketing Kind is a community of marketers, business leaders and change makers who believe that marketing can be a bigger part of the solutions to today's problems. Um, We launched it in uh, October of last year, Uh, so it's partly come about in response to the pandemic and a a very rising um, sense of the sort of urgency of, of social need today amid dealing with a pandemic, the recovery from a pandemic, the climate emergency, collapse of biodiversity, um, all of the many interconnected problems that we're going to have to face in the coming years. And so we're really a, a community of people who believe that marketing is an important part of addressing those problems. Amazing. And so you talked a little bit already about why you started it, but I guess what's the vision for the future of marketing kind? Where are you trying to, to take it? 
Well, essentially, if, if we think about those kinds of problems, um, then more even than money, more even than technology, solving them depends on finding effective forms of human cooperation. So actually we see the most pressing global priorities and even local problems is essentially being marketing briefs in disguise. Um, and so at Marketing Kind we try and address those briefs. And so we understand first of all people can make a big difference on these issues through the day job. Um, and so we coach and support each other in becoming more conscious, impactful change makers across all of the, the change that we lead. Um, of course we can't solve these problems just through the day job so we also extend into our volunteering work and our good citizenship uh, and we have uh, gatherings that are designed specifically to support our members in working together to improve the outcomes of inspiring charities and social enterprises every month we're working with you on a, a very inspiring uh, charity this month that helps refugees better access gainful employment in London um, and so through that stream of activity we help marketers build a powerful portfolio of achievements in addressing social environmental issues. Um, and then thirdly, um, our third mainstream is that we recognise that a lot of these problems actually, uh, the systems that we are a part of, the bigger systems that we're a part of, are themselves shaped by uh, narratives, you know, even a disaster or an emergency, usually the direct impact is relatively small compared to the total impact um, that is driven by the narratives that shape how we anticipate it, uh, prevent it, mitigate, um, adapt to it, recover from it and so on. So those narratives are incredibly important and we support our members in really working with their heroes, working with global change makers in addressing systemic, systemic issues. We've worked with Seth Godin on reimagining marketing. We've worked with the um, Harvard economist Rebecca Henderson on building resilience. Uh, we work with people like um, uh, Sir Tim Smith, founder of the Eden Project, on building alternatives to and for capitalism. Um, there are very few questions that are uh, too daunting for us to take on. In fact, in the new year, we're even um, raising the question of can we rescue humanity, uh, working with Ian Goldin, who uh, was Vice President of the World Bank. Um, he was a presidential advisor to Nelson Mandela and has rather helpfully written a book called Rescue that will um, be our segue into the topic of working together on that big challenge. Amazing. Well, nobody can accuse you of thinking small, that's for sure. And I'm really excited and grateful that I and Rival are some small part of what you're doing. So thank you for everything you do. Thanks for, it's been great kind of getting to know you a little bit and thanks for having us involved. Last thing, where can people find out more? Uh, well, definitely come to our website, so marketingkind.org. Um, some of our exchange gatherings are um, open to guests as well. So um, follow me on uh, LinkedIn and you'll no doubt get some invitations to some exciting um, gatherings that way. Um, and there is also a membership application on the website. And we'll drop those in the show notes for today's episode. All right, Paul, thanks so much for coming on. Scratch is a production of Rival. We are a marketing innovation consultancy that helps businesses develop strategies and capabilities to grow faster. If you want to learn more about us, check out wearerival.com. 
you want to connect with me, email me at eric at wearerival.com or find me on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe, share with anyone you think might enjoy it, and please do leave us a review. Thanks for listening and see you next week.